on the air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Sitting with me today in my home here in Southwest Florida is the fabulous, best-selling author of the Art Echo series, L.A. Chandler. Hello, Laurie. Welcome to South Florida. Thank you for having me, Pam. I'm so nice. I'm thrilled that you're here and that mm-hmm. we got to go and have lunch and and spend some time together. Uh, what brings you here to Southwest Florida? Well, I have a book tour scheduled. I wanted to come and see you, and I'm doing a workshop on Marco Island on Wednesday, and then on Friday I'll be in Delray at Murder on the Beach. Oh yeah, with Charles Todd, and oh, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to the whole week. It sounds like fun. Now you left some kind of nasty weather in New York, didn't you? <laughs> yes. So this is much better. It was gray and cold and rainy, and here it's sunny and 80. So I'm very happy. Uh, <laughs> you, you told me if you came, I had to give you sun 80. So you've got it. Um, Thank you. So you know, I it, it occurs to me when I look back on your in your bio and all, you. You just put out your third book, The Pearl Dagger, and it's gotten so many accolades. You just you've, you're touring all over. People are falling all over you like crazy, like at VoucherCon. Everybody wanted to hang with the cool girl with the red shoes, and yes, she does have red shoes on right now. Of course. Uh, <laughs> and, and sleeveless, of course, because here it is nice and warm out. Um, what were you doing before you were writing? I had a variety of jobs, actually. I started in public relations at General Motors. And I love PR. I love marketing. Um, but the job was just not quite for me. And my husband and I ended up quitting our jobs at General Motors. And we went on the road with his band for five years. And I managed his rock band. And I used all my marketing and PR. I took classes on sound engineering and lighting engineering. And I did that, too. And really enjoyed that part. It was like an audio canvas. It was so much fun. And then, uh, yeah, we went to about 46 out of the 50 states. And we uh, wanted to do some charity work so that a lot of, it wasn't just playing bars and clubs. And so we worked with a lot of military bases and prisons and did some charity concerts and made a great living from it. And it was a, it was a great experience. And then after that, we had uh, decided that, we were living in Indianapolis, and my husband got a job offer out of the blue to go to New York City. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, it was to be an executive director of uh, an arts organization, and they needed someone who could talk like an artist but organize like a non-artist. And right. he's an engineer, and so it was really a great fit. And we figured, you know, we had never thought of moving to New York City, but it was a really neat opportunity, and I figured. You know, most people regret what they haven't tried versus trying something and not liking it. And so even though we had to sell our house, it was hard to move away from friends. We were in Indianapolis. Um, We tried it, and we really loved it. We've been there ever since. It's been over 18 years. Wow. And um, we both have a variety of jobs. I do some writing for a nonprofit. 
I do a lot of mentoring work with some um, artistic nonprofits in the in the city. And then when we moved, uh, that's where I got the idea for this novel series. And so that's how I got started writing was back then. But you've always been a creative person. Yeah. Always. Tell me about growing up. What was it like? You know, I think actually I was always creative, but I didn't have a lot of, um, it took me a long time to find writing. I've always been an avid reader and I try a lot of stuff. I mean, I love to dance and I take dance classes and I, you know, took painting and that kind of stuff, you know, and, um, but I really couldn't find who I was. And even in college, um, I went to the University of Michigan and I have, I double majored in English literature and uh, public relations. But I was still trying to find what was really me. And then even when we were running the the rock band, it was a great experience. And I'll never forget uh, certain places that we took us. I took us to some really bad places, but I also took us to some really great places. Like we played Club Pearl at Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Force Base and uh, uh, the University of Hawaii. That was like the best tour. Um, But even then, you know, it was, um, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, totally me right it wasn't yours completely yeah Yeah. and it was enjoyable but it just wasn't fully me so once we moved to New York we actually were trying to move there on 9-11 and that did not happen of course and we were stuck in the Detroit airport but we did move two weeks later and um, we saw the city at a really broken time and it was amazing how the city flourished anyway. The, yes. uh, people were flocking to churches and synagogues, the um, art museums and all museums, the pop, the, that population was going up. And so there's so much art going on and humor and uh, just the warmth of it. And I happened to pick up a book about uh, Fiorella LaGuardia, the three-term mayor in the 1930s. And I started to get a different picture of the 1930s than what I have ever had before. I had always pigeonholed it into being only about the Depression. You know, it's only the Grapes of Wrath, the shanty towns, the right. two finds. And it was very similar to how New York was when I was living it in those 9-11 years where there was brokenness, but a lot of beauty coming out of it. And that historical fiction uh, in the crime world where you have characters, they become friends like Elizabeth Peters, like all her stuff, Victoria right. Thompson. That's all me. I love that stuff. And I thought, you know what? I need to tell this side of the story. And when I started thinking about that and having Fiorello be a main character, that was where it took me a while to figure out how to write when life was extremely complicated already. Right. <laughs> and I want to sure. add more. But I figured it out. And that's when I feel like it was really me. I really love writing, but I love all of the aspects of the author career, not just the writing part, but I think the biggest perk has been the people part, like going to Boucher Con and Thriller Fest and Mel's Domestic. Like that community is such a shock and so supportive and so encouraging. Yeah. And I am a people person. I love investing in other people, but I had no idea it would be the level of, yes. of, the, of, the, exactly. of the absolute support. For, because yeah. here's the thing. I, I think authors who have never been to a conference like that do, think they're competing against other authors. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is you're competing against yourself to raise your own bar. And people want you to succeed. Your peers want you to do better. 
and they're going to encourage you in any way you can, right? Right, absolutely. When I the first time I went to a conference was in uh, 2013, and that was my first thriller fest, and I was amazed being a non-writer, obviously, but having a year-old podcast, a, a radio show, wasn't even a podcast then, um, how welcoming they were and, and said, you're part of the tribe too. So, um, and I wish you could see Laurie's face right now. <laughs> She's got a grin from ear to ear. She's so invested in talking about this that it, it makes me very, very happy to, to have her here. Um, you know, so you started writing and you got really, really lucky to have a fabulous publisher. I do have a good publisher. Kensington <laughs> is so good. And they are one of my most fun uh, groups to work with, by the yeah. way. The publicists are amazing. They're they're they right are. on the ball. They really want everyone to succeed and, yeah. and be happy and give, give it the most. Um, so now you're here on book tour. You started your book tour essentially at VoucherCon. Well, yeah, I, you know, I actually started at Killer Nashville was the weekend ah, right before right my before. book launch, like, mm-hmm. but it was like a couple of days beforehand, and I knew I wanted to go to the Midwest because I lived in Indianapolis and Michigan, so I was like, I went to Killer Nashville first, and then hit Indianapolis, and then three cities in Michigan, then came home and to New York, and then I did a party there where we had a, I did it a speakeasy for a launch party. Right, I remember <laughs> you telling me about it. It was really cool. It was really fun. It was, so, I just wanted to do something different for Book 3, and it's just, uh, it's a great speakeasy on the Upper East Side, and it's literally called UES, like Upper East Side, but it's hidden behind uh, an ice cream shop, and so they even did drinks that were for all three of my books, The Silver Gun, A Gold Pawn, and A Pearl Dagger. It was so much fun. Oh, my God. Like, going into the past, and then, yeah, and then after that, I went to Texas right around VoucherCon, and I hit uh, Austin as well as Dallas, and now I'm in Florida. And now you're in Florida. Yeah. And you're touring Florida. Um, What is the most fun part about being a writer? You know, I... I really like, well, besides the people part, which we already talked about, it was a little bit of a surprise and a, and a perk. I love developing characters that become your friends. <laughs> and I, I, that's my favorite kind of book to read is where it's so real to you that the characters are like real people and the world is someplace that you miss when you're not reading it. Yes. That's the highest praise I give to my reviews is if I am thinking about that book and, and wishing I was in it when I, when I can't read it, is the best thing. And so I look for that. And I really like characters that come to life. And I remember the first time I wrote the end of the first draft of my first book, and it's such a monumental task. And I'd never written anything as long as a novel before. And, uh, you know, it's so touching anyway to finish it. And then right after that, I went to, there used to be this speakeasy in New York that doesn't um, uh, go as much as it used to. It's called The Wit's End. And the last Saturday of every month, at uh, Flute Midtown, the Champagne Bar, they'd have a real speakeasy where you had to dress in the era of the 20s and 30s wow. to get in. They had secret passwords, all this stuff. And when you went in, it was like Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. It was like you cross the threshold and you're in another time and another place. And there were people wearing <laughs> all of the cocktails are in white coffee mugs, like Prohibition era. They'd have a live band. And everywhere you looked, there was like fedoras and suspenders and the gal like Ginger Rogers wearing a white gown and all these. Oh, How my God. Fun. And it felt like my characters were going to walk around the corner. 
it was so touching and that's the stuff that I'm like it's that's so fun to me to be able to create a world that I can enter in but then others can enter into and hopefully see um the era and the people maybe in a new way and have sure maybe some insights or some inspiration behind that well not not every period of time is a hard time and even when it is bad there are some very joyful and happy things going on. Absolutely. So I, I, I yeah. think it's incumbent on, on the individual to find those things like you have in your books and really capitalize on that. Now, I know that you're enjoying this era that you write mm-hmm. in, this deco area, and mm-hmm. I wish that you were – I was living on South Beach still. I would take you to all the Art Deco <laughs> hotels there because it's, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. But um, – You've just released Pearl Dagger now. Mm-hmm. It's been out for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, have you started writing the next book? I have. I have it outlined, and I've written about 100 pages of it, of book four. And I, I know where they're going, books four, five, and six. I have no idea the timing of that yet. Um, but I definitely know where they're going to go. And I even know the titles, that I, the working titles for it. And they're going to go on more field trips. I always say the mysteries take place in New York. But the, um, like for the Gold Pond, I take them on a field trip to Detroit for right. a while. And then in the Pearl Dagger, they go on a field trip to London right. uh, for a part, part of the book. And so they are definitely going to go back to Detroit at one point. There's definitely going to be a mystery that revolves around Coney Island at one wow. point, too. Yeah. And, um, Which was huge back then. Yeah, yeah. And I would, the working title for that one's called Nickel Empire because that was what it used, they used to call it. Because when the beaches opened up, people could finally, from the subway with a nickel, get out to the beaches and it right. changed people's lives so yeah they're they called coney island nickel empire for a while i love that so, yeah yeah it's really a lot of fun oh god i wish <laughs> you could see the grin on her face okay i want to talk about BoucherCon because you yeah. were kind of like the the bell of the ball out there well, <laughs> you had pictures with everyone so who were you looking forward to meeting most when you got out there well, you know, what I really like about BoucherCon is it's the World Mystery Conference. So you have every kind of author in the crime writing world. So from cozies to noir to hard-boiled to action thrillers to military, everyone's there. Right. So it's really fun. And then, you know, I actually, when I walked in, um, this is the third BoucherCon I've been to, and I heard someone say, BoucherCon is the mystery writer's reunion. And I, it's true. You after you keep making, you start making these relationships with people, and then you get to know them online. And there are some people I met, like Valerie Chandler. We only knew each other online. You know, Chandler and Chandler. Yes. We were immediately great names. Well, I know her online too. Oh my God. <laughs> He came to my Austin signing, and it was like an old friend, even though we'd never met. And it's like that with a lot of authors. And so yeah. that might be one of the only places you see each other the whole year. And but you, you feel like you know them anyway. Yes, yes. exactly, exactly. So, um, oh, there were a lot of people. You know, I had never met uh, Mark Greeny before, and I did a short interview oh, with Mark him before. Yeah. He's wonderful. Um, Jack Carr is a good friend of mine, and I got to see him for a little bit. K.J. Howe is the executive director of Thriller Fest right. and a massively awesome writer. And uh, she and I had a chance to sit down to talk for a drink. Um, Vivian Chen, Edwin Hill, Joe Reed. I mean, there's just so many. And it's it's a joy. I, I don't know. I, I was looking forward to a, a lot of them. Oh, I know. I led a panel by Sandra Brown was on my panel. Right. And I never met her before. And so that was exciting. To She's to gorgeous. Meet her. The woman does yeah. not age. It's amazing. No, I know. <laughs> Lovely. Like, such a great person. Yeah. And yeah. then I met Lori King, which we had met briefly in Toronto at a voucher con once. And She's wonderful. 
And they were funny because we had, I, my panel was on a romantic suspense novel, so I got them all to give me tips on writing sex scenes. So <laughs> it was really fun to mess with them a little bit. But <laughs> it's really interesting when you, <clears throat> pardon me, ask the, the female writers and the male writers that question, <laughs> you know. Um, the best one that I ever heard was was uh, the the most romantic male writer that I know is James W. Hall and oh, yeah. his Thorn books. Yeah, he's he, and he's magnificent. Um, so, what surprised you about being at that big conference? Probably the small nature of it. Uh, even when I would meet, um, you know, readers who had read my books before and I hadn't met them. Before, it's still, even though it's really big, you tend to find your tribe. Yes. And I remember meeting two women there, the very first one I went to, and they go to all of Voucher Cons, and uh, wow. they are, they, they found their tribe there, and I found, and they're readers, <clears throat> and they even said, um, one of them, she had lost her husband the year prior, and her friend was like, you know, I'm going to BoucherCon. I think you should come with me. And so she did, and she really found her tribe there. And that's what I think is amazing. It's kind of like living in New York, right? New York is a huge city, but my community is the best community I've ever lived in. And it's, I think it's because it's a walking culture. You know, we're yes. walk everywhere. We're not isolated right. in the car. Right. And some of these bigger conferences are like that. There's people everywhere. But then you kind of find these little cells of where you meet and you really kind of connect with people. Yes. It's really fun. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you had fun. Um, whose book is on your nightstand right now? Right now, I am actually reading um, Andrew Penrose's latest. I'm reading like three books in month. <laughs> I, I do the same thing, so I can relate. I know. Colleen Gleason, her fifth book in the Stoker and Home series just came out. I'm reading hers. And then I'm finishing up Mariah Frederick's um, Death of a New American. Wow. And you have eclectic tastes in your books, too. Yeah, you know, I really do like a variety. I think I really like the – I love an element of mystery, but I do love, uh, I like everything, even like the lyrical nature of uh, Where the Crawdads Do yes. was wonderful. And it was mixed with a gritty thriller, which yeah. is fascinating to do. Yes. I just finished the eighth book of the Gray Man series by Mark Greeny, which right. is a CIA thriller, so totally different genre. Um, but I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see his books <laughs> are all over <laughs> here. And he'll be coming to Southwest Readers Fest, too, so I have his new books also. Really? Yeah. So, no, listen, yeah. if not, I'm a fangirl. If nothing else, I'm Love a fangirl, it. you know. Um, uh, when do you think your next book will release? Well, you know what? Right now, actually, I'm not sure about the Art Deco one. I don't know, uh, you know, when that'll right. be. But you have something but else I coming do, up. I do. I'm finishing up. Uh, my agent's going to be shopping a book that's actually a Christmas book. It's a modern day story about a journalist that goes to New York to kind of figure out these lost Christmas and holiday stories. And um, it came from an idea for a talk that I have done a couple times at the United Nations. My friend runs an organization that helps people who have moved to New York with the United Nations get acclimated to the city and to the United States. And one year she asked me if I did a talk on the holiday tradition. So not the religious aspect, but the icons right. of Christmas and Hanukkah. And as any good business person does, I say, yes, of course I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I made a, made a talk and I started digging up all these really delicious stories that are kind of forgotten. And I thought, 
again, one of the things I like about historical stuff is you get to sit in the shoes of somebody and experience it like you like you were an eyewitness. And some of these stories, we don't really know. We know the events, but we don't always know the people. Right. And so or what brought it about. Exactly. Yeah. So uh-huh. this modern day journalist thinks it's a fluff story. She has her own uh, difficulties to get over herself, not not a lover of Christmas. And she starts meeting with historians and whatnot, uh, like the Rockefeller historian whom I met with, who tells the story about the first Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. And then he goes into a story about the man that came up with the idea, who happened to be in real life a construction worker while they were putting up Rockefeller Center wow. in 31. And I have pictures of the first Rockefeller Christmas tree. And, oh my gosh. Yeah, and it was decorated with construction worker stuff. So there's blasting caps and tools and construction paper. Oh my God, how cool it's is really that? Sweet. And yeah. so the fiction part is I take that piece of history and then write about, you know, who what is the backstory? Like, what could a backstory be of the person that put that up so that we get to witness it sure. like, as if we were standing there? And I so it's really fun. And what is the title of the book? Right now it's called 12 Days of Christmas in New York. And so she's there for 12 days. And so as her, her life changes through all this too, um, she meets with people. She hears about the first radio transmission in 1906, which happened to be on Christmas Eve at 11 o'clock at night. She hears about um, the first, Christmas stockings, like by St. Nicholas in 4th century Turkey. She hears about, oh, there's a really neat tie to the Civil War. And one of the all-time favorite Christmas hymns was penned right after the Civil War. And that is one of my favorite stories because I found out there's a Jewish magazine that came out in um, with an issue in 1865, right at the end of the Civil War. And it was chronicling how in real life, the largest synagogue in the country is on the Upper West Side. It's Temple Shiris. And I had no idea, but from when the Civil War ended and with, you know, Appomattox Courthouse, and then days later, Lincoln's assassinated, that time period was over Passover. So the Jews are celebrating at the same time they're celebrating the ancient slaves being set free. They were celebrating their current day slaves being set free. And they had this, um, they had services that they were going to for Passover, as it's chronicled in this magazine. And that's when they got word that Lincoln was assassinated. And so people just flooded the streets because they were just so torn up about it. You know, here's the light at the end of the tunnel. The war right. is finally done. And yet you have this huge tragedy. And at Temple Shiris, it was the first time in history that the rabbi was just, didn't know what to do. It was so sad. And he ended up reading the prayers for the dead uh, for someone not of Jewish lineage. And it was for Lincoln. Um, yeah. It sounds fascinating, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, I want a copy. <laughs> um, one of the things that we have not talked about, and, and we're running out of time, and so, and I know you have to get going, too, but um, your fight to keep creativity mm-hmm. alive, let's mm-hmm. talk briefly about that. Sure. I started writing it. Um, it's a workshop that I do for different corporations, writers, groups, um, really on the psychology of creativity, and I started writing it because around the time that I started writing more intentionally myself when I try trying to figure it out life is complicated and why do we always put those things we really want to do on the back burner that are creative why do we treat them like a hobby yet there seems to be something more essential to our humanity about that and why is that and every time I talk to somebody about writing and how much fun I was having every single person said oh I remember when I fill in the blank you know crochet played piano brewed Uh beer, you know, all this Uh kind of stuff. Uh And so I started looking into psychology of why is that? Why do we do that? And then I start 
I kind of debunk the myths of of creativity. Like you have to wait till you don't have anything on your plate to do it. Um, right brain, left brain. Are some of us creative and some of us are not creative? No, not really. You know, and I go through all that. And then I even have like a creativity boot camp that helps you um, in seven days, seven things in seven ways for seven days. You just can get a boost in your creativity and become a student of yourself to see how you're wired because everybody's a little different and what makes you aware of your creativity and sparks something in you might be very different from mine. So what do you, what do you even do to go about doing that? And so, yeah, it's a book called Brass, as in Brass Knuckles. And uh, when my first, the book came out uh, for my workshops, I, everybody thought there'd be like a colorful rainbow handprint of a child on the right, <laughs> right, right. creativity and right. I've got switch blades and brass knuckles <laughs> and uh-huh. so but I'm like it's because creativity is something you fight for it right. will not come effortlessly right or naturally you have to make it happen and then it takes off but it won't just happen and life is never perfect you can't wait until you have freedom and the energy and the time and the money to do it otherwise Fabulous. you'll never do it Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Laurie, I've had so much fun talking with you, but I want you to please tell everyone where they can find you on the web. Sure. LAChandler.com. And I am on all social media. So Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and it's all under LA Chandler. And um, yeah, you can find me on my website as well. If you do LAChandler.com, all of my uh, information is there. And if you sign up for my newsletter, it comes about every month or so, and I always include a recipe for a vintage cocktail. Yeah. I have a very high click rate. So. <laughs> I know. I'll be going there shortly to go ahead and check out this month. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it has been such a pleasure to meet you in person but and to grab lunch and to have you here in my home and talk to me. Thank you so much, Laurie, and I hope the rest thank of your you. Florida trip is, is just as much fun. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And readers thank and listeners, thank you for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.